The Athletic. Hello, listener. Sorry to kick off with a notice and not some kind of loquacious intro about Macton Town or something similar, but we need your help. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits, and the, the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. It's pretty catchy. So I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, the show that's beginning to regret joining Marseille and then making promises about never starting a new save again. Our show today runs deep, so deep it'll put your bum to sleep. We've talked already about the first season, we've talked at length about the second season. But what happens as you push through? What happens when you go into double figures and beyond? Because this game is like a Jacques Cousteau documentary. The deeper you go, the freakier things you find hiding in the gloom. We'll talk to Andrew James of Sports Interactive about that, and we'll chat to Johnny Sharples about his extended Celtic game. You've almost certainly heard about that somewhere already. Hey, we've got piping hot latte in the community centre too. We've got your letters, including a brief guide to Schalke style near post corners. And we've got reaction to that FM Bundesliga challenge after the first and possibly the last meeting between me and Alex Stewart. Now, talking about going deep, uh, I put this out on Twitter this week. We had some amazing responses. If you're not already following, uh, it's at FM Pod Athletic. And that would enable you to hear about Adam Roden and Louis Brown, who are a mere nine seasons deep on their link-up game at Southampton and Bournemouth, but they have documented every step of it as if they were botanists aboard the HMS Beagle. I urge you to check out their work. It's it's on our Twitter feed. I retweeted it um, earlier in the week. And honestly, it's so beautiful, it will just make you instantly regret not taking your own game more seriously. Elsewhere, Benjamin Allsop is so deep with Kievo that he's got regens who have made 600 appearances each. Felix Davis has a friend who carried on for decades, retired, started a new career with his, finger quotes, son, and then tried to outdo his father's legacy. Stephen Cowell is currently in 2058, where he reports that Middlesbrough are now the dominant force. But no one comes close to LS Plays FM, who has travelled 500 years into the future, where... Kilmarnock have won the Champions League more than any other team, and Manchester City play in front of 140,000 every week. Sir, I salute you. It should be said, however, that LS Plays FM has been documenting this for a forthcoming video. He hasn't actually played 500 seasons, but my next guest has, has certainly put in a few. Welcome to the show, Johnny Sharples. Thank you very much for having me. 500 years is something to aspire to. I'm not quite at that level yet, uh, holiday or no holiday. That's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, you wonder if is football still being played? Is the earth still functional? I wonder if there's an intergalactic, I was going to say World Cup, but uh, possibly a world's the wrong word to use, but some sort of tournament oh. between planets and galaxies. Yeah, like a, a you know multi-confederation star system kind of thing. Actually, true story, um, Miles Jacobson uh, has, has said on a few occasions, when they have their big meetings for, for new features, someone always suggests the random event of aliens landing 
and aliens being inserted into the game who have like attributes of 30 for all their physical um, things and then they play alongside the humans. It gets rejected every year, which I think is a dreadful shame. Um, Johnny, your, your game in a way was sort of inspired by Miles, wasn't it? It was, and um, you have a part to play as well, Ian. That um, I came to see you do a discussion on the incredible book, Football Manager Stole My Life, which I assume is still available in all good bookshops. Um, oh, you so can I came come to- again. <laughs> so I wrote a small part in that about a, a, fo- a real-life footballer called Wesley and Goberheng. So I came to see you and Miles uh, do a discussion on that in, in Waterstones in Manchester. And then we went to the pub afterwards and I was having a chat with Miles and he was asking how my football manager save was going at that point. And I said I'd fallen out of, a bit out of love with it because um, all the new gens had come in, but I'd had to very good new gents, a goalkeeper called uh, Raymond Decker, uh, Desmond to all his friends. And then I had a, a striker called Avicii Strock, a Croatian striker who was who looked quite good. But then Miles said, oh, you really, when the new gens come in, that's that's when the game gets really good. You have to really stick with it and, and see what happens. And so I did. And that was uh, seven years ago, six and a half, seven years ago. Um, and I still play that same football manager save now. So I've just gone into the January of uh, 2103. Uh, so we're into the 22nd, 22nd century. Um, and yeah, th- things are very strange when you get that far into the game. So, so you've, you've played 90 seasons as, as Celtic bus. Yes, and straight, like I say, strange things happen. So uh, Celtic are obviously the dominant force in world football nowadays, but West Bromwich Albion are the big team in the Premier League and Montrose have won the Europa League and Ivory Coast have won the World Cup <laughs> and uh, England have won the World Cup. So strange things do happen the further you get into the game. Tell me about Ivica, because he went on to... I mean, I think most people know more about him than any of their own new gens. So Avicii became this legend, at, well, initially at Celtic Park, but obviously we moved to Sharples Park in the 2040s, as we'll all recall, that <laughs> incredible stadium, the biggest club stadium in Europe. And um, yeah, he was just this incredible new gen that I'm never really played beyond about 10 or 15 years. Like I say, when the new gens come into the game, that's when I sort of lost a bit of interest. It became more difficult for me because you can't just sign the players that you recognise or you can't just go on a website and find out who all the wonder kids are. You've got to put that time and effort in. But Avicii just hit the ground running when I signed in for Celtic and we'd stolen him from under the noses of the big clubs like PSG and Chelsea. And yeah, he played for Celtic for for 22 years until 2042, and he scored 836 goals for Celtic, which is... Jimmy McGrory has one of the best goal-scoring records in for one club in, in football. I think it's about 499 goals. So that looked like a pipe dream when Avicii was hitting his stride, and then he sort of surpassed it and then completely ran away with it. And I've had other new gens since... Eddie Williams, I think we'll all remember, England's World Cup winner, a great striker himself. He's got 725 goals for Celtic. That's still 111 goals behind equaling Avicii's record. No one's really come within 100 goals of it for any club in any country. And he also scored 152 goals for Croatia. So it wasn't just the fact that maybe the Scottish League was a bit weaker. Some people might say it was a farmer's league. I think that's a bit bit disrespectful but he did it on the international stage and he did it in the Champions League 152 goals for Croatia he won Euro 2032 with the dark horses that were his home nation and just a wonderful career uh, for a great striker and, and he would have his uh, his incredible um, 
statue outside the Sharples Arena. We've obviously moved on from Sharples Park now. We needed to cram more fans <laughs> in. Uh, the green and half side of Glasgow very passionate about their their dominant force. So Avicii was this incredible striker, and and I I think what what it was so good about him, and I think a lot of listeners to this podcast will know when you have a great player on Football Manager. You obviously have these ideas that you want to get their name on the back of your your shirt by a replica shirt, even if it's a team you don't support, and even if it's a player that doesn't exist. And that's exactly what I did with Avicii, and then and then some. I'm sure you'll you'll know things got a bit more weird. Yeah, it just carried on growing until I was seeing his face on Twitter um, with alarming uh, frequency. Yeah, so he had his own he had his own Twitter account, which has gone gone a bit dormant now because it's. I don't know uh, if we've got the elixir for eternal life by 2103, but uh, Avicii will be 102 at this point. So <laughs> I don't, his name still crops up on news items that he's warning me about the best player of my opposition. And he's saying that my best players have been playing really well. So whether he's, whether it's a future armor situation and they've preserved his head in some sort of bottle of, of, of water or, or whatever it is, but he's still, he still seems to exist, but he's just gone a bit quiet on Twitter. Maybe he's off in the Highlands shooting grouse as, as his want is to do. But um, yeah, he popped up on Twitter. We created uh, some testimonial programs when he had his testimonial in 2042 against his boyhood club, NK Zagreb. We sold those for an incredible mental health charity called Calm. We raised some money for them. We raised some more money for uh, Calm uh, back in, in 2020 before the whole world went to uh, it went the strange way that it's gone. Um, we celebrated the day that Avicii signed for Celtic uh, in January 2020 with another great um, fundraiser for Calm as well. So he stepped away from football managers, stepped away from those attributes and pixels and random assortment of different numbers and become a, a, a ambassador for Calm almost uh, and, and has spread um, the word that they're doing around real uh, the real world as well. And and that is an outstanding charity. We talked about it on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago. Jo- Johnny, while, while you're here, if, if anyone wanted to get in touch with Calm, um, how, how best to do that? So you can find out their website is thecalmzone.net. They run a... Um they run a web chat service 5 p.m. till midnight every single day of the year. They also have a uh, telephone service. You can find their number on their website as well, which also runs from 5 p.m. till midnight every day. And they're an incredible charity. They're run by, entirely by volunteers that run the phone lines, um, but they will speak to you. It's all anonymous. You can say as much or as little as you want, and they're there to help you through whatever difficult times you're going through, especially for the year that we've had, especially at this time of year when when the dark nights are still around as well. Um, they're an important charity, and they're are always available to be able to speak to as well that is that is absolutely brilliant uh johnny where can we find out more about you uh you can find me on twitter at johnny gabriel uh you can uh you can't find me on wikipedia i was going to say you can find me on wikipedia but you can't once five live uh when i went on five live to talk about a feature struck they looked me up on wikipedia found a man called john sharples who was a manchester united trainee in the 70s and assumed that we were the same person um <laughs> so uh we're not the same person. I'm a lot younger and a lot more fresh-faced and a lot less talented at football. But I'm probably a lot better at football manager than him. So, you know, uh, apples and oranges. So I, I, feel your, I feel your pain. According to Amazon, my, my best-selling book ever is A History of the Railways of Peebles, which, which is probably better than anything I've, I've ever written. Johnny, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Now. If you want to follow in Johnny's footsteps, here to discuss taking your game deep 
deep, deep into an alternative reality. It's Andrew James from Sports Interactive. Andrew, what do you do all day? Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so I'm a gameplay QA lead on FM. and My areas include training, finances and new gens and progression. So a lot of things that sort of go deep into the game and keep things balanced long term. Okay, you are going to come in very, very handy. Andrew, theoretically, how far can you take Football Manager? Does it ever just time out and stop? So no, it doesn't time out. You theoretically could go on forever, or at least until your computer can't handle it anymore. So obviously the further you get, the more the more and more data gets stored, and the bigger and bigger the save file will become. But despite what Joe from the Inbetweeners might claim, you can't complete the game. It will just keep going on forever. <laughs> Championship Manager, complete it, mate. You can't complete it. Yeah, I know, but I got so good at it that the FA offered me a role in the England setup. Did they? I took Woking from the conference to the Champions League in six seasons. Stuff like that doesn't go unnoticed, Neil. And not a lot of people will, will ever go that far, will they? You get a lot of stats off, off Steam. Uh, what, what's the sort of average duration of someone's game of football manager? Yeah, so most save games will only last a few seasons or so, but it does vary a lot from person to person. So the average playtime is around 250 hours per user, which is obviously great value for money. And some people will spread that across several games across a year, whilst others will start a save when the game comes out, and that's it for them for the whole year until the next version is released, basically. so some people I love that their, idea. Yeah, some people have sent their so- saves in, and it's like over 100 years into the future. <laughs> so there are, there are people who are so well disciplined that they buy the game and start their save and then that's it they never start another one yep that's it I hear people who have like a practice save with the beta version and then once the full game's out that's it that, that's the kind of person I want to be I always end up with like two or three um, false starts yeah what's what's out there because I don't I think on the more recent ones I my best is probably about seven or eight seasons What's out there after 10 seasons? Because by that point, the game must just be kind of referencing itself, referencing players that have come up and, it, and it's filling up with, uh, with, with new gens. Yeah, that's right. So as I mentioned, the longer it goes, the more and more data gets stored and you'll start to notice things like records being broken by events that have taken place within the game rather than real life records. And I think one of the most noticeable things you see as well is that current players will start to transition into the managerial roles as well so you come up against players that you might have managed yourself so I loved it last year when we had Lampard at Chelsea and Gerrard at Rangers and people were saying oh it's just like something out of a long-term FM save. <laughs> does that happen if, if one of your players becomes a manager and goes up against you does it start do you get press conferences sort of devoted to all of that? Yeah so obviously we have player relationships in games so you might still be on their favoured personnel or they might have a good opinion of you and that would be referenced in press conferences or it might be a player that you sold and they don't like you. So there's a rivalry already there when they start managing. And you'd end up with like huge tracks of best 11s and um, uh, previous meeting data. Yep, all that stuff, it all gets stored. So Definitely got to be more disciplined. I've got to plough through. I've got to make Marseille work, Andrew. Tell me about new gens, uh, starting with... Why, why is it a new gen and not a regen, as older people like myself always say? <laughs> yeah, so there is a difference. The, the new gens are the players that the game creates to fill the void left by older players as they retire. But regens would be where the retired player, his, he basically a new version of a specific player, gets pumped back into the game. But new gens are sort of, well, they're new. So they're created from fresh 
and are all completely unique basically so they generate as 15 16 year olds and they come through in your youth intakes once a season is is there anything in the game that sort of balances that out to you know prevent prevent yourself from getting 500 albanian left backs one year or something yeah so there's loads of we have like templates and attribute weightings for different player roles and all this sort of stuff so one of the things that i have to do is i sort of run analysis on the starting db starting database and then i'll soak the game 20 30 years into the future and then run analysis on the state of the game at that point when the database is completely new gens and then i'll sort of look for the average attributes of different positions and make sure nothing's gone too haywire make sure we have enough players in the right positions and little things like we want to see all left backs with a current ability of between 100 and 120 have sort of an average crossing of around 10 or something and just try and balance out that way and presumably to ensure that weird things don't happen like you get all the best center backs of five foot four yeah exactly that so again it's just looking for any sort of inconsistencies or anything that stands out as massively different from the future to massively different from how the game started basically we want to try and keep things stable but we want we don't script anything so we want every set every save game to remain realistic but also to be unique so we don't have like this uh, man city will get a great left back come through in 2023 it's all sort of probability it's and chance completely random yeah and a new gens I, i've got a friend who, who once he gets five seasons deep and it starts filling up with with new gens he, he hates it and he starts again but but there are so many benefits to new gens, particularly in, in the way that the game has sort of different storylines lined up for them that perhaps won't cause legal issues. Yeah, that's right. So there are a few things we can, a few different things that can pop up for new gens that we're not allowed to do for real players. So maybe one of the first things you notice is after a few years, you start getting player poachings that for your youth players as well. So before they even enter the game, they start having sort of transfer storylines and stuff like that. Really? Like before they've even popped up in your under 18s? Yep, that happens. So when they're at the time, they're sort of be 13, 14, and you can't, you don't get their profile yet, but you'll see the name, and he's come from a sort of a local feeder club or something, and or you've had a player poached, and they'll be like, your head of youth will tell you our best youth player's just been stolen before we could even offer him a contract. And that could be annoying. Oh but, my god! Yeah, I'm I'm gonna have stress dreams about that. <laughs> there's little things like players can report back for training overweight or late or not turn up to training and all this sort of stuff, which, yeah, we don't get in trouble if we do it for new gens. <laughs> Andrew, that is brilliant. Thank you so much for that. At this stage, we like to ask our Sports Interactive guests to step inside the stasis booth and wait until such time that they are required for the, uh, for the listeners' questions. Are you okay with that? Yep, no problem. That's wonderful. Just step inside there. You will not age a minute, but for the rest of us, time will pass as normal. Now, it is possible that there might still be someone listening who doesn't have a subscription to The Athletic. I mean, the data we've seen does indicate against it, because who among us wouldn't take the simple step of typing theathletic.com forward slash fmpod into our phone to take advantage of a very special offer? It takes barely a minute, and it gives you months and months and months of the best sports writing in the world. What is that special offer? I hear you cry. Well, it is half price. For six months. That's a pound a week. You can't even buy one quality newspaper for one pound these days. So type in theathletic.com forward slash FM pod today 
luxuriate in the good stuff. The Football Manager Show Community Centre. Thank you so much for all of your suggestions for the community centre. We are building up quite a backlog already. And I, I don't think it's going to be possible to, to mention everything that's been sent in. So apologies in advance. Um, but we are going to talk today about Latte Quarterly. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Uh, it's a quality online magazine put together by FM Samo, FM Grasshopper, FM Adventure and According to FM. Uh, there are quite a few of these sorts of things about uh, and you always have to salute the passion and commitment that goes into their production because these these are not easy things to put together sometimes this passion and commitment comes you know without the little things like acceptable graphic design or spell check or or, or it comes with the steadfast belief that the human eye can pick out yellow text on a lime green background but fortunately none of these things apply to latte quarterly it's a really smooth reading experience. It's got well-thought-out articles that engage with the FM community, most notably in this most recent issue with a, uh, a section of reflections, thoughts about Football Manager in lockdown um, with, with one that got very real very quickly. If I have any issue with it, and I am just being picky, it's with the correspondent who admits to playing with attribute masking turned off, which, while not being technically illegal, probably should be. So that's Latte Quarterly, easy to find on Google and Twitter, and completely free. If you found something really great, whether it's a video, a blog, a database, a mod, whatever, send it to me. The address is imacintosh at theathletic.com, or if you're on the Twitter, it's at fmpodathletic. And while I'm here, could I please thank Baza Collins, Cam Hoss, Zed Watson 33, Ollie Keaveton, and James Beady for their reviews on Apple Podcasts? Because I am banging on the door of the bosses here at The Athletic to say, let me do more football manager content. So reviews like this really help. Thank you so much. You're listening to The Football Manager Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Okay, it's letters. It's time to bring Andrew out of stasis and it's time to turn our attention to producer Abby. Good day, evening, morning, whenever you're listening. <laughs> I think you covered all bases. I think so. What have we got today? Good noon to you. We have got Good a me- noon to you. <laughs> We've got a letter from Cameron Hosseini who says, Hi Ian, I've just been listening to your Football Manager podcast for the first time. Welcome Cameron. They're absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Um, I've recently got back into playing Football Manager after a break of almost eight years and I am hooked. What are you doing to people, Ian? The one thing that he is struggling with is training. He wants to know how far in advance should he be setting his training calendar and also, are the general training sessions effective or is it better to go for more specific elements? Andrew, this, this, is, this is a question that, that I, I would also like to echo. I generally do my training at the beginning of every month. I map out like the next four weeks and I add a few specific things. Um, but like Cameron, I'm not sure whether I'm doing it right or not. Um, I don't think there's any right or wrong answer, but I think a month is normally, normally a good amount to work to as well that's sort of what I tend to do in terms of the specific sessions it depends on how your team's going in my opinion so for me if my team's performing well and they're in form I'll tend to tailor my training sessions to sort of target the opposition that are coming up so I'll if they're bad at defending set pieces I'll try and attack set pieces and take advantage 
But if my team's out of form, then I'll try and use the training sessions to focus on my own team and get them back into form. So the general sessions are sort of good for general training and they sort of cover all bases. But if your team has a specific weakness, then it's good to use the more specific things to sort of get things back on track. The balance I always try to get is between the physical elements of training and and the more uh, technical aspects of training. If obviously you tell them all to do set pieces and practice overlaps and shadow play and all of that stuff, what you're going to end up with is a lot of very clever but quite chubby footballers, isn't it? What's the the sort of right level of of you know physical elements every week? Uh, yeah, that's right. So on the training calendar or when you're setting your schedules, you'll see like the workload and you. You need to bear that in mind. So uh, physical training sessions will sort of build your players' fitness up, but it will also make them tired in the short game, So you d- in the short term. So you don't want to have loads of physical sessions right before a match. But if you sort of have a nice, heavy pre-season, it gets fitness in the bank for them to make them last long term and keep them fit. God knows I need some of that because my teams always do pressing and counter-pressing, so they're generally exhausted by November. Um, Abby, who else is in the letterbox? In the letterbox, we have Teddy, who is a long-term listener of the pod. Thank you. And an avid reader of The Athletic, double tick. Uh, He has a question. It's more of a hive mind question, I think. He's got a question about tactics. Been playing FM for a long time, tried every single tactic under the sun, 4-3-3, six-man attack, and recently been toying with the three-man defence in an MK Don save. It's found it very effective, getting promoted in the first season. Wants to know, what is your opinion on the three-man defence? Do you find it to be effective? And if not... What is the ideal tactical setup that you've had the most success with? Now, see, I've only just started using a three-man defence with Schalke on on account of having terrible fullbacks and just wanting as much protection as possible. So I'm still feeling my way around with this. Andrew, any tips? In terms of three-man defence, I think a lot of it will depend on how good your wing-backs are as well, if you're going to go with that, because... It tends to be sacrificing an extra attacker, in my opinion. So I don't usually go with three-man defence, personally. But I also tend to sort of focus on the players and then make them f- make a formation to fit the players, if I'm honest, rather than make a tactic and then buy the players to fit the tactic. So I The thing I like particularly that is that with, with three defenders, it means I've got three blokes who are about six foot three, six foot four, and it makes me much better at attacking and defending set pieces which is about the only part of the game i seem to be any good at um is there a sort of yeah what's the right kind of blend for those defenders do you want the old-fashioned two center backs and a sweeper i think that can definitely work i always like to have my center backs to have a bit of ability on the ball as well or at least one of them that can have the confidence to bring it out i think having a couple of defenders who don't who are happy to clear it's and just get rid is fine, but you want to have at least someone with some composure back there to sort of calm the whole team down, I think. I've just signed Javi Martinez for uh, Marseille in my my personal save, and uh, he's got sweeper written all over him in big neon letters. Uh, Abby, we've got time for, what, one more, I think? One more, yeah. This is from Glenn, and he says, Hey, Ian, love the show and following the articles of your Bundesliga save. It's been really insightful for someone who's just started playing the game this year. I've kind of had a lot of information thrown at me, and I was wondering if there was any talks about potentially making cheat sheets for the main aspect of the game, game planning, set pieces, training, etc. If not, any chance you could go over a brief setup of your set piece tactics? Okay, there's there's two answers here. Um, one is if you go onto The Athletic and search for my name, you'll find a couple of cheat sheet 
style articles. One's definitely on training uh, and one's on uh, starting the game itself. So have a look at them. Um, on the brief setup of the, the set pieces, I'm more than happy to share this with you. This is my near post corner routine. I get someone swinging them into the near post, first and foremost. That that bit's pretty simple. Ideally, have them good at corners. So far, still so simple. And basically, just put all of your biggest players, the ones with the jumping and the heading stats, on the near post. Now, obviously, the computer is going to send its its own big people there. So you need to set up as many decoys as possible. So put your strikers at the far post, because if they're doing man marking, you'll drag a couple of defenders there. Then find the tiniest, most useless player for this kind of thing and put them as a short option, even though you're never, ever going to play it short. Because every now and then the computer will send a man to, to mark him and that will free up still even more space. Once you've done all of that, you'll think, that's it, it's done. There's no more edge I could get. Oh, but no, there's more. Because if you get a quick sort of shortish winger, who, again, is going to be no real use for you at near post corners, get them to hang back. Because if they clear the corner and break away, you'll have your quickest player there who can possibly make the intercept and turn what could be a very ugly counter-attacking situation into kind of a, a second go at the corner. Um, also, if you've got anyone who's good at long shots, get them to lurk on the edge of the box. Again, if the ball comes out, you can twat it back past their ears. Uh, honestly, if it wasn't for set pieces, I'd have a Schalke relegated by now. Um, I hope that works for you, Glenn. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us and, uh, and answering those questions. No worries. Thanks for having me. Next up, Football Manager Bundesliga Challenge. Before then, uh, I'm probably going to bang on about this quite a lot in the, in the coming months. Uh, this is either going to be a brilliant podcast series or it's going to be the actual reason the Athletics sack me. Have a listen to this and, and then have a listen to the show. Finding it difficult to get off to sleep? Well, you are not alone. After a long day of Zoom, Doom and Gloom, it's hard to relax and just drop off. Maybe you need a bedtime story. I know, there's a lot of them out there. They ask you to imagine that you're laying on a lily of contentedness, drifting upon a lake of calm, holding hands with the otter of placidity. Our one isn't like that. It's a football bedtime story, and it sounds like this. When Brian Clough arrived at Nottingham Forest in January 1975, they were a mediocre provincial club whose most recent success was winning the FA Cup in 1959. But they were 13th in the old second division now. Clough too was damaged goods. So give it a go tonight. Subscribe to Football Bedtime Stories on your favourite podcast provider now. The Football Manager Bundesliga Challenge. Hiding away at the end of the show like a surly teenager at the back of the bike sheds, furtively draining a John Player special of its life-shortening smoke, hoping not to be seen by anyone who knows their mum, but aching to bump into someone who really gets them. It's the Football Manager Bundesliga Challenge. Hello, Alex Stewart. You know I smoke players, right? Do you? Yeah. I didn't know anyone smoked players, like, since 1986. 
Yeah, well, that I mean, that was well, possible. I was four in 1986, so I hadn't started at that point. But no, there's obviously no, no, some residual joy. Your, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in fairness, and and while this podcast doesn't advocate anything unhealthy, you know, apart from all the unhealthy things it does, um, if ever there's been a week where where that sort of thing comes in handy, it's it was probably last week, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it probably was. I mean, it's it's just not going well, is it really? And I suppose my biggest issue is this chopping and changing of formations. But I've, you know, I've got a couple of players that are really good, and I'm trying to work out how to get the best from them. I mean, let, let's remind everyone of of where we are. If you go onto the Athletic and you read the the latest episode, you'll see that we we had our head to head. We came into that head to head about fourteen, fifteen games into the season weirdly and probably only by virtue of set pieces Schalke are sort of bobbling between fifth and eighth uh, Stuttgart finding it a little harder never in the relegation zone but never too far away and when we met each other we were both doing so badly that there was a real chance we could both somehow contrive to lose the game uh, only one of us did though <laughs> yeah that was me and, and look you I mean you deserved it you know you it, the, the counter-attacking system that you've implemented is very effective. You gave yourself greater solidity with that back five and you're always a threat, you know, on, on a quick break or from a set piece. And unfortunately, defending against quick counters is probably our weakest point. You know, we commit too many people forwards and we get caught out, which has tried to inform some of the thinking that, that I've gone into this set of games with, um, you know, securing us at the back. But... It's just very tricky. I mean, we we are, like you say, we're sort of hovering above the relegation zone. And I would point out that the media prediction we had was 14th and the board's uh, expectation was to avoid relegation. So we're actually doing about as we expect to do. But that's, for me, that's not good enough. (laughs) (laughs) But there are there are some signs of uh, of life there we because of the pressures of real world and having real jobs we've only actually played two games in january but but it's been all right hasn't it yeah so augsburg who were a, a derby um that i had in the very first month of of proper fixtures we now have managed to beat them 3-2 at home we then went into a game against bayern and actually started brilliantly Gonzalez on a quick break and we went 1-0 up away from home and I was thinking wow some, something's happening here and then and then they scored and then Endo got sent off with about 50 minutes of the game remaining and uh, things went exactly as you'd expect them to have gone. <laughs> In the meantime Schalke um, keep winning games uh, having been dumped out of the uh, DFB Pokal Cup Cup at home to Heidenheim. Two more wins in January and uh, resolutely clinging on to fifth and the promise of a European place. We've had a lot of messages below the line um, asking us why we're not doing anything on youth policy and why we're not buying anyone. Uh, I guess the, the first thing on youth policy is that actually I am tinkering with that. I just think it's probably not interesting enough to get into our, our limited word count. Um, Alex, there's a different reason for not buying anyone, though, isn't there? Uh, for me, yes, it's because I don't like to buy people uh, unless I absolutely have to in the first season, um, because there's no information on them. So, you know, obviously there's scouting that's ongoing, but until someone's got a whole season's worth of data in terms of how they've played, 
I don't like to get them because you can you can miss out on players who are actually you know performing really really well but are under the radar and inexpensive. Also, once you get to the first summer, there's usually people that are leaving on free transfers. People get listed, so there's an opportunity to pick up bargains there. And we don't have much money. I think I've got 25k spare in the wage bill and about one and a half million to spend. So I'm not really going to get anyone that's good enough at this point in time to make it worthwhile. Yeah, I've got half a million quid and and I desperately need some fullbacks, but that was barely enough. I mean, Nigel Winterburn was about half a million quid in 1987. So <laughs> yeah, the, the, the prospect of me getting a multi-title winning fullback um, for that amount of money is is a bit limited so I think we're just going to have to make do amend and plough through for the, the rest of the season you can catch up on all of that at The Athletic and you know how to get a subscription there don't you it's theathletic.com forward slash fmpod where you can get a half price deal and that is our show. Your guests have been Andrew James from Sports Interactive, Johnny Sharples from at Johnny Sharples on Twitter, Alex Stewart off the TIFO, and my name, at least up until the release of our controversial Rangers documentary, is still Ian McIntosh. We'll see you next week. The Athletic. <laughs>